get comfortable. Not too comfortable now. I want you to be comfortable. There was a father that was dying. And he had his family come around. He only had a few minutes left to live. He had four children. He said, good night, John. He said, good night, Butch. He said, good night, Betty. And then he said, goodbye, Ralph. And Ralph said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. You said good night to my siblings, but you said goodbye to me. The father told his son, because the other three children have accepted Jesus, I will see them again in glory. But because you have not, I will never see you again. Makes me wonder what that young man felt right at that moment. We've had some of our own people right here who have passed on who said the same, very same thing to their, their families. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you think about your own death? <laughs> some of us in here probably do more so than we used to, right? How about when you were 20 years old? Did you think about your death? No, not too much. But as we grow older, we grow wiser, right? And we know time is drawing very short for any one of us. Amen. Some of us are in the fifth quarter, which in football doesn't really exist, right? Right? And I praise the Lord, you know. We need to talk about death. So today... You know, most Americans don't talk about death. They don't want to entertain it. You know, three out of four Americans either believe in heaven or hell. Three out of four Americans either believe in heaven or hell. That's 75% right there. But here's the thing, 66%, there are 66% who believe in heaven and hell. In both, right? And this is really interesting because those three out of four people who believe in heaven or hell, listen, 82% of them think they are going to heaven. Right? That's kind of funny, isn't it? It is. It's really sad. Only 2% believe they would end up in hell. 2%. Should we talk about death? Why not talk about death? Well... Some will say, well, that's morbid, Brother Phil. It's too hard. Why waste time thinking about death when we are alive? Right? It's going to happen. Why dwell on it? Right? Let's not dwell on death. It's going to happen. Do we need to talk about death? Yes. We need to talk about it. Why? <laughs> you know why? It might be our next answer. Amen, brother. That's right. It may be our next answer. Yeah, if you know Christ Jesus, absolutely. The future is very bright. Chapter 20 is a chapter that boils down to it. It's the smallest common denominator for all of us. And as we talk about it today, it's when life is stripped down to its barest essentials, to its barest minimums, to its barest essentials. Listen. Here is what you end up with. You ready? You might want to write this down in your notes this morning. Here's the first fill-in. You live. You live. You tie. Exactly. And then you are raised to be evaluated. You are raised to be evaluated. Each and every one of us in here are going to be evaluated. This is life, folks, at its basics. Life at its basics. In chapter 20, we have two different pictures that we will see today in these next few moments. With two different groups of people here. There are two different groups of people here in chapter 20 
And I want us to understand this this morning. So turn to chapter 20 in the book of Revelation. If you haven't already. You see in verse 4, and we're going to read the scripture here in a minute, but in verse 4, number one, it said, we see souls beheaded that lived and reigned for a thousand years. These are the people that come out of the great tribulation, the seven years. These souls were raised and they are rewarded. Amen? And then if you were to skip down to verse 11, it's a different group of people there all together. Totally different group of people. They're sort of the same at the end because uh, there's a commonality between both groups of people. At the, th- at the end of the thousand year reign, they come forth resurrected. But the difference is the first group was raised for rewards, but this second group is raised for eternal judgment. The second group, these are all the unbelievers and all of them that died somehow. Because all died of, for whatever, maybe it's natural reasons, maybe it's a disaster. They all died somehow in some way. At some point in their life, they all died. We go through that. Could be heart, cancer, diabetes, you name it, murder, whatever. People die. The second group of these people, they live, they die, and they will be raised again to judgment. They will be resurrected. So let's read chapter 20 together, right? This chapter, and what I'm going to read today, deals primarily with these two groups of people. And we'll talk about it. Revelation 20, verse 4, says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received, listen, the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. For a thousand years. Folks, this happens at the beginning of the millennial reign when Jesus comes. Then verse 5, he talks about all the rest. He says the rest of the dead did not come to life until when? The thousand years were completed. So all the unbelievers of the world are not coming to life again. They're not going to be resurrected until the end of that thousand year reign. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Amen? Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for what? A thousand years. And when the thousand years are completed, it says Satan, remember last week we talked about him, will be released from his prison. Here we see death has no power over these, raised to reign with Jesus Christ. Now let me remind you, where are we? Huh? We're in the church, but where are we at this point in time in the scriptures? Are we with Jesus? Amen. We are raptured before the tribulation, before the seven years of tribulation starts. You and I are raptured. We've been studying about this for the last year, right? We've been talking about this. You and I are already there. The people that he's talking about here are those that will be raised to life, resurrected at the beginning of the thousand year reigns who were martyrs during the tribulation period of time. And the many souls that will be saved. We don't know how many people are going to die and how they're going to die that are Christians. The ones that take the mark of the beast, most surely. You know, that's going to be a way to buy and sell and all that stuff and they're not going to take the mark. And if they don't take the mark, guess what? They're not going to get anything, and they're going to probably be martyred and beheaded for their not taking the mark. And then you got all the disasters that take place during those seven years globally that will kill many people. Many, much, uh, many of the population, right? So we're talking about the first resurrection of these believers, these martyred saints, right? And then it goes from verses 8 through 10, which I am skipping today. It's where Satan is released, and then guess what? There's going to be another great rebellion take place one last final time, a great rebellion. A final last rebellion takes place. So, But I want for today, I want you to go down to verse 11. 
And I want us to read it together. This is where verse 5 picks up, verse 11. These are the people that I talked about in verse 5. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened. You might want to underscore the books and the book. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here the lost dead, small and great, are raised. The rich and the poor, it doesn't matter. Who it is, they are all unbelievers. Every one of them are unbelievers. Then, then there are some books opened, and another book was opened. Verse 12, the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds or their works. Now we see this here at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. All lost people, great and small, will be raised, resurrected to life, and will be judged for what? For their deeds or works that they did on the earth. The Lord knows everything. You know that? He knows everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done in our past, present, and future, right? He knows everything. He's sovereign God. He knows everything. Number one, this is what we see. We see in two groups a common experience. There's a common experience in these two groups of people. Every one of both groups lives. Think about that. Amen. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. Everyone's going to live. Death, when we die here, it's not final. Everyone lives. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost. But these two groups live very different lives. Let's look at the first group. Verse 4 says about the first group. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for what? How many years? A thousand years. This is a group of people who received a resurrection up front at the beginning of the thousand year reign in the body who lived and reigned with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 5, though, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection, it says. In verse 5 is explaining, listen, the beginning of verse 11. So the rest of the dead do not live again until the end of the thousand years. Both of these groups, however, share common things. They both had physical lives, number one. They both had physical lives. They both experienced physical death. Uh, I ain't talking about Elijah. There's some exceptions. All right? There's physical death. Also, both are followed by a physical resurrection. Those are the three primary things. So now I want us to look at the word life. When we say the word life in English, it means life. I'm alive, you're alive, we're all alive, life is good, right? We all look at it in one perspective, basically. But in the Greek language, which is what our New Testament is written in, it holds three different meanings in the Bible, when we read the Bible. And it's important for us to understand that. In fact, it's important for you to understand that the Bible in the New Testament is written in Greek. And it's a very descriptive language. And so, a lot of times when it describes a word, it might describe it in many different ways, like the word love. There's agape love, sacrificial love, eros love, erotic love, right? There's, there's all kinds of sexual love. There's brotherly love, phileo love. There's all kinds of different meanings for these different words. So when you study your word, make sure you look at the intent of some of these key words and make sure you understand the context of, of, of the way it's being put in the scriptures for you to understand. So you get the correct context out of it. So the word life, and I want you to write this in. The first one, life, I have in the Greek is called is bios, B-I-O-S. It is where we get the term biology from. 
It references biological, physical life focused on the externals, right? You're a living being. You live. You can touch your skin, right? You're alive. You're not dead. You're alive. And listen, here's the thing. Most people spend all their money on this. I want you to think about that for a minute. Most people spend all their money on this, on this kind of life, right? How do I look? Right? Most people, that's what they do, right? How do I look? Sometimes they're worried about the weight. Worried about the hair, right? Worried about the hair, their face, relationships, job, you name it. We'll spend a lot of time looking at this in our life. Amen? In fact, Luke 8, 14 uh, gives a description of bios here. It says, The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Life is external, physical. The second, uh, the second definition of life in the Greek that we're going to look at is suche, P-S-U-C-H-E. This is like our psyche. Or it's, a, it's, a, it's, a psycho, it's where the term psychological comes from, psychology. It's where it comes from, this. The suche refers to the psychological life of the human soul. In other words, in you, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. That term life means your mind. It's just who you are. It's your personality, right? It's like Brother Harvey sitting out there. There's not another soul that is just like Brother Harvey. <laughs> Somebody said hallelujah. They said hallelujah in a good way, though, right? Amen, amen, right? Right, right, right. I got you, sister. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's who you are, Marlon. There's nobody like you. Nobody. You're unique. You're a one of a kind. You're a treasure. You are. All of us. Everybody. We have. We all have a simple uniqueness that is just uniquely you, because God designed you to be uniquely you. Each and every one of you are valued. Every one of you. Every one of you are valued. God didn't create no junk ever. Never, ever. Don't let anybody ever tell you that. Amen? You're, you were created as a gift to the world. Man, we look at the baby, oh, what a little gift of God, right? That's you. You're just older, that's all. You're still a gift of God. Never changes. Made in the unique image of God. It's precious. You're uniquely you. Matthew 16, 25 says this, For whoever wishes to save his life, here's where it's put to use, will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Suche. Now, the third term for life is the one we're going to kind of park on here. The Greek term is zoe. You've probably heard zoe before. This is, this is theological in nature, right? It's theological. Listen, this is not earthbound, but it's heavenbound. It's eternal. Zoe. It's about everlasting. You know, it's mentioned 143 times zoe is mentioned in the New Testament. Think of forever life when you think of zoe. Think of everlasting life when you think of Zoe. As believers, listen, our quality of life to live now and here today and in the hereafter, amen, it should be Zoe. As a believer, you have life. You have everlasting, eternal, everlasting life that never goes away forever. Amen. Amen, sister. I wonder when that was coming. Amen. Well, listen, John 1, 4 describes this term of Zoe. It says, in him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen? Not just the future, but the here and now. When you get saved, man, that, that joy should come out. 
That life should come out. Man, you have power within. That dunamis power lives and resides in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's in you and with you and upon you. He guides you. He takes you. He shows you His truth. He shows you His love. He demonstrates love in and with your heart and your mind. He's always with you. He's always leads. He's there to lead you and to guide you. And we need to listen to Him. Listen to the Spirit of God in your life. In John 5, 24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, Zoe, and does not come into judgment. You hear that, church? Does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Here and now, as a believer, you have everlasting life. See, you have to remember, everybody lives somewhere forever. Amen? So to have life, to have Zoe life, number one, new life requires a new birth. You must have a new birth. Remember what you said said to Nicodemus? You must be born again. Very pointedly, you must be born again. Again. And he was an educated Pharisee and he didn't understand that. Which truthfully all of us don't really truly fully understand that. So he had to explain it to him plainly. You must be born again. You're born of the flesh. You must be born of the Spirit of God. Comes down from heaven above. As Jesus draws you to him. And then you surrender your life and will and your mind and your will. That psyche, you, 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 you surrender it to his will trading it from your will to his will, and it's his will that needs to operate in and through your life. And sometimes we think that only happens one time in salvation. No. Every single day. Every single day. His will must be fleshed out in your life. It's a daily occurrence you need to do that. Yes, say positionally, yeah, once time, one time for all time. But every single day, you've got to die to yourself and follow Jesus. Amen? See, in John 3, 5, he said, True, true, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is Zoe. It's eternal life. So, my question, I have, I have a question for you. I know all of you out there have physical life. I see you. Amen. I'm glad I'm not talking to a bunch of dead people, right? Or am I? Hmm. you got to think about that. Are you alive in Christ? Does Jesus know you? Do you know Jesus personally? I pray everybody in here does. How about your mental, the psyche, the, the suche? Do you have peace in your life right now? If you have peace rooted in your life, not your peace, but his peace in your life, can you honestly say you have peace in your life? Listen, folks, everyone lives. Amen? But the question is, where will you live when you die? Which brings me to number two. New life requires a new birth. Everyone dies. Number two, everyone dies. Amen? 394 times in the Bible talks about death. Talks about a lot. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1, 2, this is part of the wisdom books of the Old Testament Solomon wrote. Wonderful, wonderful words of wisdom scripture that Solomon didn't always follow. (laughs) The Lord... But listen to what he said. He said here, verse 1 and 2, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. There is a time to give birth, and there is a time to what? To die. Listen, the odds are in your favor that you are going to die. Amen? What good odds is that, right? One out of one die, right? Two people die every second. Did you know that? 102 people die every minute. 
6,036 people die every hour. And listen, in cities that are so large, they're becoming, listen, when people are dying, they become, the cities, the big major metropolis cities are becoming so large, they don't even have enough cemetery space to bury all the people that die. So we'll probably see mandatory cremation eventually. Something to think about. Some people, some people believe it or, or they don't, they deny death. You ever met people that deny death? I'm not going to die. I'm invincible. Some of you might have felt that way when you were 20. Think about the battle of aging, right? The battle of aging, amen? amen. Trying to deny death. Listen, it's coming. Not, not for some, but for all. If Jesus tarries, right? It's coming. How do we try to defy aging? <laughs> Talked about this morning. Brother West was letting me know, talking about plastic surgery this morning. Not that he's going to get it, but he was talking about it. I said, hey, I'm going to talk about that this morning. Plastic surgery, right? People stretch their skin, right? Cut it away, stretch it back, right? And then they're going to get that little flat face to get rid of what? Wrinkles. Get rid of wrinkles, right? And what doesn't make sense to me is then they turn around and they take this Botox and they blow up their lips. So they're taking away skin, they're tightening it up, stretching it back, and then they're taking needles and blowing up their lips and stuff to... And you can tell, too, when, they do, when the women do that, <laughs> listen, they think they're getting away with something so beautiful. they got these voluptuous lips, right? No, they're blowed up. They're not, they don't look right. They don't look right on your face, right? So I, don't, I just have to, you know, sometimes I'm like, hmm. I don't know. It's amazing what we will do to try to deny aging or deny death. How about cryogenics? You ever heard of that? Did Disney do that? Is that something that Disney did? Somebody I remember years ago. Cryogenics, where people get a disease and they're very wealthy, so they say, freeze me. <laughs> find a cure, bring them back to life. Possibly to find a cure so they can live some more. I don't, you know. No. But it's true. Look what people do. Some people believe they are immortal. Can't kill me. Can't kill me. Like the saying goes, there are two things that are inevitable, right? Death and what? Taxes, right. Amen. Well, listen, death gets worse when you are not prepared for it. When you're not prepared to meet Jesus, your creator, amen, you must be ready. Hebrews 9.27 says, And inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once, and then after this comes what? The judgment. Listen, folks, when you die, it's not over. It is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. In Luke chapter 16, verses 23 through 31, you all remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Let's just read this. Let's just sink into your heart this morning, your spirit. It says, when, it says, in Hades, listen, the beggar lifted up his eyes, being in, I mean, uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes, because he's in Hades, right? He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham a far way off, and Lazarus in his bosom. That's, that was the beggar, Lazarus, in his bosom, right? And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? Who is speaking in this scripture? The Jesus. Jesus is speaking, telling the story, right? Is Jesus not telling this story? From his own lips of a Savior, of the sovereign God of the universe, he is telling this story to his people. So, So here's your answer for what happens to you when you die without Christ. Now. But Abraham said, Child, 
Remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. Verse 27, he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, and you probably put the preachers and teachers, and if they don't listen, right? They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Don't we see the evidence of that today? Who is risen from the dead? Jesus. Yet people deny his existence. Listen, every person lives somewhere. The question is where? There was a man who got in a terrible car accident. And he was running, got in a car accident, he ran into a gas station and ran into a pole. It was the pole with the sign on it, and he hit it so hard, uh, hit it so hard that one, it knocked him out. But number two, it was a shell gas station, and the letter S fell off of the shell. And when he came to, guess what he saw? Hell, right? Think about that for a minute. Hell's open 24-7, right? Listen, more than 6,000 people die every hour around the world. Every hour, 6,000 people are dying. I wonder how many of those go to heaven. See, we talked about the new birth and that, number two, everyone dies, right? Number three, everyone rises. If you don't get nothing else out of this message today... You're going to live again. But the great and the small, the saved and the lost, it just depends on where you're going to live again. See, first we have the resurrection of the just, those tribulation saints we talked about, that first group, right? Jesus said everyone will rise to life or the second group, condemnation, right? So why does everyone rise or is resurrected, do you reckon? Why does everyone have to be resurrected? There is a reason for all to be resurrected. You ready to hear what it is? Number one, to reverse the effects of sin in the world. To reverse the effects of sin in the world. Our old bodies are doing what? They are decaying, right? Which is why we try to do plastic surgery and blow our lips up and all that stuff, right? They're decaying every day. You cannot stop it. You cannot stop it. So the, uh, to reverse the effects of sin in the world. Number two, to renew the physical earth with a renewed physical body. Jesus comes back a thousand years reign. He's going to set up. He's going to make everything new. He's going to break it brand new. So we've got to be resurrected. Number three, the new heaven and new earth. This eternal state requires what? An eternal body. For everybody. No matter where you're at. So everyone rises. The second one I'm talking about is, there, is, is we have the resurrection to condemnation, the second group. The resurrection of the unbeliever. Verse 11 said, Then I saw a great white throne, and on him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, and the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. This is the most serious scene in all of the Bible. Think about it. There will be no debate when this happens. Think about this. When you stand before the Lord unbeliever, there will be no debate. There will be no lawyer. You've been watching that trial, haven't you? There will be no jury. There will be no discussion at this time. None. There will be resurrected bodies for what? Eternal punishment. 
And I don't even like talking about this up here. But the Bible teaches us this. And we need to hear it. Amen? The torment will be real, and we must now try and keep people from it. And and we can't keep people from it, but we can sure help them not go there when we tell them about what Jesus did for them, for us. We tell people what Jesus did for us. Listen, God will reach down and touch a person's heart. He will send you to places where people need to hear the gospel. The torment will be real. There's a tombstone, and all the tombstones said it, it, it had the inscription on it. said, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. That's not true, right? Everyone dies and goes somewhere, amen? To heaven or to what? The lake that burns with fire and brimstone, the lake of fire. And your body will feel it forever and ever and ever. You're going to one place or another. Listen, it's going to be shock. It's going to shock people frightfully, so it's going to shock people who attend this judgment. Matthew 7, 21, 20 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I wouldn't even want to witness this, do you? Who is going to be there? I've met people who say they look forward to hell. You ever met people like that? I've met people. Who was the guy that was the president of TBS? I heard him say one time, it used to be years ago, on video. He's, he's looked forward to going to hell, where all his friends are, so I can party with them. One big, there's no boarding. Your friends might be there, but there's no reason for any, any of you to go there, any of us to go there, right? Listen, Satan will be the chief victim. He's not going to rule and reign. He's going to be the chief victim in hell. No party. See, everyone lives, everyone dies, and everyone rises. So here's a question. Why are the lost people judged by their works? Why are the lost people judged by their works? Let me tell you why. Because they would not let God judge them by Jesus' work on the cross. That's why they're judged by the works. They have nothing else. Verse 12, And I saw the dead and great and small standing before the throne. And it says, In books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in it, in, in the books, according to their deeds. Scripture says books. Notice that? Plural. Notice that? That kind of caught my attention this week. But then you look, we'll be open, but then it's, it, that's the record for the unbelievers. But every idle word that you said, every action of sin you ever committed, it's going to be written down. Everyone lives, dies, and rises. But then, then there's this other book, the book Singular, the book of life. It's for the loyal citizens. Think about this for a minute. That same scripture in Matthew that I read, that I just read just a minute ago, listen, it also talks about the, the way to everlasting life is a narrow way. It's a narrow road. It's a narrow gate. But the, but the way that leads to everlasting destruction is a broad gate, a broad road, a broad. Listen, and many people are going to find destruction on that broad road. Books is a lot of books with a lot of dead, unbelieving people on it that are, not, that are going to go straight to the lake of fire. The book of life is a book. Let that sink in just a little bit. Hmm. Listen, the lost, they will be standing as if the judge would say, prisoner arise and approach the bench. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That is that fearful event right here, what we're talking about. It's a fearful event. 
Unbelievers would tell me, well, pastor, I do my best. I'm a good person. I don't hurt anyone. I go to church. I made peace with God. And I always wonder, what does that mean? Somebody ever tell you that? I made peace. I, pay, I made peace with God. What does that mean? And when you ask them, they can't tell you what that means. Well, he and I have an understanding. No, you don't. There's only one understanding. We're all guilty sinners that deserve hell. And we need a Savior, Jesus, to take his blood and cleanse us from all, all of our unrighteousness, right? There's only one way. You've got to go through the shed blood of a Savior who died for you and for me. He did all the work. I praise the Lord. He did all the work. None of us have to do it. Listen, all we got to do is believe, submit. And listen, you can tell if you believe or not by the way you conduct your life after you're saved. It really bothers me about people who don't want to be with other, other of God's people. It makes me think about that. Why do you want to be alone? God didn't create anybody to be a lone ranger. He created all of us for community to be here. That's why he created us, to be here together. Are we perfect? Do we get on each other's nerves? Amen. Right? Sometimes. But we're the family of God. I'm not going to excommunicate my family because my brother did something to me. I might not talk to him for a while and let time kind of get over him. But as a Christian, I can't even do that. I got to go to him and make peace and make it right. Whether it's my fault or not. Whether it's my fault or not. If there's a problem with somebody, you go to it and you make it right. That's the Word of God. That's what God teaches us. We don't give any opportunity for the devil to conquer and divide and put wedges in our lives so that we would disperse and not be a church or body anymore. And that's impossible because we're the body of Christ. We are sealed until the day He calls us home. We're family. If you don't like me, you better get used to me in heaven or you're not going to be there, right? Amen, right? I mean, it's true. But when people don't want nothing to do with God's people and God's house, and I'm talking about, especially even like lost people, they want nothing to do with it, but yet they think they're going to go to heaven. Like I said, a lot of people think they're going to go to heaven. They're not going to heaven. They're not going to go. I mean, listen, if they don't want to come and be responsible Christian believers in God's house, following God's word, doing what God says, he said to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He said that for a reason. We need each other. All of our faults and failures and flaws and all that, we need each other. Why? Because I've got Jesus in me, and Roger's got Jesus in him, and Minnie's got Jesus in him, and Pat. Listen, and Jesus is in those who are saved. Jesus and you. We need each other. And we work better together than we do separated. How do you reach the world when you're separated? we got to be together. That's why Easter Saturday is going to be so important for us as a church body. To be here. Whether we pray or out there giving candy to kids. Whatever we do. We share the love of Jesus. Hmm. There are two religions in the world. Let me write this down. We're about to finish here. There are two religions. He said, Brother Phil, there's all kinds of religions, all kinds of isms. No, no, no. There's only two religions in the world. And you can mark it down. It's true. Two religions in the world. Number one, there's human achievement. Human achievement is what? It's works, works, works. I'm going to do better. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to work it. You can't. That's, that's a religion all by itself. Work this, do this, do that. Meet this quota, meet this, do that. No, it's not about doing. It's about being, which is number two. It talks about divine accomplishment. And that divine accomplishment, you had nothing to do with it ever. Amen. It's not about you. It's about who? It's about Jesus. The divine accomplishment only comes from Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Romans 10, 6 through 11 says, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? Question. The word is near you, it's in your mouth, and in your heart that is the word of faith which, are, which we are preaching today, right? 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He says what? You might be saved. He says you will be saved. You shall be saved. That's, a, that's, that's an affirmation. That's an absolute. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Not your righteousness, his righteousness. His blood applied to your life. His righteousness applied to your life. And with the mouth, confession, resulting in salvation. And that word mouth, man, when you look at the Greek, it's like a gash in your belly. If I was to cut my belly, what would come out? Involuntarily. All my guts would come out. Involuntarily. It would just come out. Your confession ought to come out that way to the Lord. Confession should come out. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confess what? Jesus as Lord. That's so important. Jesus must be Lord. My old preacher used to say, if Jesus ain't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Right? So think about that. He needs to be Lord of all. But with the heart a person believes, resolve righteousness, with the mouth confess, resolve salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Believers are saved because they believe in Jesus' death on the cross. For the forgiveness of their sin. Think about that. You've got to first admit that you're a sinner. That's sometimes in the Christian circles we miss that. There needs to be a conviction of sin in an individual's life before they can realize they need to be saved. And we've got to let them know Jesus wants to save you, but you've got to realize you're a sinner and you need Jesus to be your Savior because sin is not good. <laughs> There's not a person here who hasn't told a lie. There's not a person here who hasn't done something wrong, dishonored mom or dad, lusted after somebody. There's not a person in here that can tell me they've never sinned in their entire life. But you've got to own up to your sin, whatever that is. And I'm sure it's many. By the age and stages of everybody in here, there's a lot of sin that's been in this room. Amen? Amen. Did Jesus forgive part of it? He gave all of it, right? He forgave all of it from beginning to end. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, who saves you with his blood that he flowed from Calvary's cross, and he gave it for you, and he gave it for me. You can't ever work to be saved. In fact, verse 12, Revelation 20 says, And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their works. Works never get you into heaven, ever. You can't. It's by the free gift of God's grace. Grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should ever boast of works. It's Ephesians 2.8. It's plain as the nose on my face. Be saved today. Today is the acceptable day of the Lord. Don't put it off any longer. Know that you know in your knower that you're saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Who likes to talk about death? Lord, breaks my heart to see how you died on the cross for me. Breaks our hearts, Jesus, that we could be such a rebellious individual that you would have to lay your life down on the cross to die a excruciating death on the cross for me and for all of us in the world. But Lord, as I look back at the cross that saved my soul, I thank you, Jesus, for touching my heart and touching my life. Back in 1987, that I could get on a floor in a hotel room and say, Lord Jesus, I really re I recognize that you saved my soul when you hung on that cross. I give my life over to you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Lord, that's what you did for me in a little hotel room. And I surrendered my will my mind and my emotions to you. Oh yes, Lord, there are times I have to hold on to them, it seems like. But those times, every time I hold on to them, that's when I mess up. I need to hold on to you, Jesus. 
But I know, God, when I don't, you hold on to me. You always pull me back. You always help me to see. You always give me opportunity to confess my fault and my sin to you. Lord, there's somebody in this room today that's never, never trusted Jesus Savior. Oh, they think they're going because their parents are in heaven, or they think they're going because they're a good person. But Lord, the Bible says none of us are good. No, not one. None are good but God. None. Our hearts are desperately evil and wicked. There's no good in us whatsoever. But Jesus, you came to give us life everlasting. Lord, my prayer, if somebody here has never trusted you as Savior, that today they say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Come into my life. Come into this wicked sinner, man, and remove my sin, Jesus. As you said, I already did on a cross 2,000 years ago. For you were crucified with me when I hung on that cross 2,000 years ago. And I died so that you might live. That's what Jesus did. Trust him as your Savior today. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. That means to turn away from what you're doing and chase after Jesus with all your heart. And he will come in and save your soul. I thank you for our time together. I know it might have been quite long. But Lord, it's important that we hear this this morning. All of us, including this big old pastor right here. We need to be reminded that Jesus, you came to seek and to save the lost. That was me. That was all of us in this room. We want to make peace with God. That means we've got to surrender our life to him. I pray that every soul in here does that. And if there's somebody here that doesn't quite understand that, I pray they would come and see me afterwards and privately while I sit down and we'll go through the scriptures and show them what it means to be saved. Lord, touch our life. Touch our hearts. Touch us, Lord, as only you can. Father, we thank you for salvation and we thank you that we are sealed to the day that you take us home. I praise you, Jesus. Go with us now and use us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, Amen. I love you. Thank you so much for being here today.